Hello, welcome to the latest edition of the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. I'm Tony Heil, your host and Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter. Right now, we are in the midst of May 2017, and that is May is ALS Awareness Month. There are a lot of activities happening in May here in our chapter area from the Phillies Festival, which by the time this is up will already have passed, a walk to defeat ALS at Seaside, getting ready for a bike ride, and advocacy day in Washington, D.C., and in Harrisburg, and in Trenton, and New Jersey. And then there's things that happen all over the country. And then, as you'll hear in this podcast today, there's some events that happen all over the planet that get in touch with this chapter. And I'm not kidding. Today we are talking with George Pagano, who uh, is a lot younger than me. It makes me feel lazy, as we just discussed. And he is part of the Cranial Quest. Uh, and he rode about, he told me about 3,000 miles or so, but I, I think it's probably closer to 11,000 or something, <laughs> uh, all to raise money for ALS research and patient care uh, in honor and memory of his grandfather. Uh, he is here today with his mother, uh, Mary Emily, who it was her father that had ALS. So they're going to talk about their stories, uh, what it's like rowing in the open water all that time, and how they raise money and awareness in that time. If you want to get involved in your own event, you don't have to row in any ocean. You don't have to go to any other country. You can stay right here. Go to ALSPhiladelphia.org. You can email Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, at ALSPhiladelphia.org to set up a community partner event. Uh, And you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Twitter, even Snapchat now, which we barely use. But you still follow us all on those at ALSPhiladelphia. So with that out of the way... George and Mary Emily, thanks for coming into the office to talk on uh, our podcast. Thanks for having us. Good morning. So, uh, if um, so, George, this was your thing. Right. You've rode before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, tell me a little bit about yourself and what led to you taking this quest. And forgive me if I interrupt to ask some questions because I'm going to be really confused of why anyone would do it. No, it's okay. Um, so I went to the Hafford School for, for high school, and that's where my love of rowing sort of started. I rowed all four years and was a, a co-captain my senior year. Um, then I decided to go to the University of Nebraska, and um, they have a club team there, which is a shocker to a lot of people. Um, but I was able to row another four years there, and it was at Nebraska where this idea of rowing across the Atlantic sort of formed uh, when uh, some of my teammates showed me a video of four guys from uh, the UK that did this uh, Talsker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, Um, and it was uh, like a 40-minute YouTube video, uh, and I watched it, when I was a freshman and then sort of just watched it occasionally throughout my first three years. And then junior year, I sort of decided, you know, I would really like this to become reality and uh, sort of tried to find someone that I thought could uh, row with me because I did not want to do this race by myself. No, and I, your mom's here, and I can only imagine my mom not letting me row by myself because she would hit me in the head. <laughs> yeah, um, but so eventually I found uh, uh, Caitlin Miller, who was on the rowing team at Nebraska, and I sort of um, had to uh, lobby to get her to watch the video a couple times, and <laughs> then she she sort of got on board. She She's very adventurous and outdoorsy, so... Um, 
it was definitely a, a good combination as far as a team. And then we sort of took uh, more steps to figure out more about this race, what it would take. Um, we actually got to talk with um, one of the rowers from the original video that I watched and sort of um, learned what we would need to do um, in order to, to make this uh, happen. And then uh, we learned that and talked with our parents and it's, you know, kept snowballing and eventually turned out to, to happen. So what year did you end up doing the, the so, challenge? Uh, so it was uh, December of 2015. So I had graduated um, from Nebraska because I wanted to make sure I got done school mm -hmm. before I did this. Um, so I graduated in August of 2015 and then we just sort of kept training because we had been training for a while for this. And then December of 2015 is when we left uh, the Canary Islands um, and uh, we arrived in Antigua uh, in February of 2016. And so, so that's crossing the Atlantic right there. Yeah, the, it's, a, it's a sort of a northern Atlantic route, uh, pretty similar to what Christopher Columbus did. Yeah, um, whatever. And he had sailed. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, um, and with this race, it's actually, it is a race. So there's 20, there were 25 other boats um, that we were competing against, um, mostly from the UK. Um, and there were uh, people that did it by themselves. Um, other pairs like our boat, and then um, four-person teams. Um, and so the fastest boat um, crossed in, I think, 37 days. And um, the last boat made it in, I think, a little over 80 days. But every boat made it, which was a um, achievement for, for this race. No other uh, previous race had all boats finish. Um, so we, we were a pretty prepared fleet in general. Well, that must have been daunting to you, knowing that no, that no other race, Mary Ellie, had everyone finished. Like, that would seem like something where I've, right. my kid was doing it. I'd be like, I want to make sure everyone actually finishes this thing. Right. And so when George told me, I was sitting at the kitchen table, and he said, I have something to tell you. And I thought, oh, what is this something? And he said, I want to do this race in honor of um, Grandpa. And um, because each of these teams race for a cause, mm -hmm. whether it's cancer, uh, in this case, ALS, and so forth. So he said, I want you to look at a video. So I looked at the video, and I looked at it several times because I couldn't believe what I was looking at. These boats are 25 foot long and 6 feet wide. There's, they're not cruise ships. They're not motorized. It's just oars. And so I'm thinking, there's sharks out there. There's big waves out there. Yeah. How is he ever going to do this? And um, so the more I learned about ocean rowing, the more I was feeling a little bit better. But um, it's a very well organized. And I think there comes a moment when someone's so convicted in terms of what they want to do that you have to basically support them. And um, the um, one woman who actually made the boat was an ocean rower, rower, and she said it's important for family, friends, and community to get behind him. Yeah. Um, to be successful. Yeah, because it's and not it's just true. A, it's not just about the money raised. It which really is great, isn't. But it, you need to know, George, that when you're doing this, 
Because it gets tiring and lonely. Exactly. Absolutely. That, that people are rallying behind you. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we, we definitely felt the support, not only from, um, you know, Delaware County, where we're from, and, and media specifically, but also even Nebraska. Um, uh, we had a lot of people donate money because um, we also had to raise money for costs. Because um, this boat we bought brand new. Um, and it was a design that we had to get approved because it had never been used in this specific race before. Um, there's entry fees um, to, to this race. And then just all the equipment like food and um, the medical equipment. So the costs definitely add up. And um, it's definitely, you know, uh, I'm very thankful for the support that we got through uh, the community, my parents. Um, you know, it's... It, 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 we needed everybody. It was a team effort, not just me and Caitlin. It was uh, definitely more than, than just us two that made this happen. And, yeah. it, and it's something outrageous like this you need to call attention to something like ALS because basically he's using muscles that an ALS patient will never be able to use. Right. Um, so every blade that goes in that water is a pool for a patient. Um, so I think it was impressive, and he took my father's dog tags with him because mm -hmm. he was in the Navy, and um, the physicians felt that uh, this was definitely linked to his uh, uh, service in the military during World War II. So with those lucky Navy tags uh, and his um, love for rowing, he blended those two into uh, doing the ultimate and that is to row for ALS. Well, doing a water thing like that, doing uh, rowing kind of fits in with the Navy. Obviously, yeah. the Navy doesn't necessarily row across the Atlantic Ocean, but yeah. it is very—it is a really good thing, even without ALS, that Navy connection. When you're yeah, definitely. It's really definitely. cool. Yeah. Um, and so I was writing down about you being in Nebraska. So I, I, I lived in Council Bluffs, Iowa for okay. a hot minute. Yeah. Um, so is it right there at the river? It's... Um, so we I, we were in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we rode okay. a yeah, uh, uh, yeah man-made lake, um, uh, Branched Oak Lake. But I have rode in Omaha at Car uh, Carter Lake. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but those are the only two bodies of water in Nebraska that I rode in. Because there is a river there, right? Yeah. There's the Platte River. Right. Yeah. Because lake rowing, I would assume, would be a lot different... Then river rowing and obviously ocean. Like, do you, did you yeah. test in different things to get prepared for the waves? Um, you know, well, that's a that's a great question because thank you. <laughs> um, before you are cleared to, um, you know, take off in this race, you have to log um, a specific amount of hours um, on the ocean, right? Um, both just in general, but also specifically at nighttime. Mm. Um, and we had to do all that while we were in um, La Gomera in the Canary Islands. Um, and uh, that's not too unusual, but it was sort of, that's why we also have to get uh, to the Canaries uh, two weeks before to prep the boat and to get that practice time. Um, which was, you know, sort of, um, it was definitely fun and it, made it, every every step you know sort of from november through december of 2015 every step that we 
took made it feel more real and real and real. And then obviously race day came, and then it was for real. Yeah, I was here in our area when we were hearing about it, and we're like, that's not. That doesn't make it. Why would someone do that? Right. Because right. I mean, I don't row. Right. I, I mean, I do the rowing machine at the gym. But yeah. It's a bit different. It is. It is a bit different, and um, it's definitely different than rowing on a lake, rowing on um, a river. I mean, out in Nebraska with the wind, it definitely gets choppy, but not even close, obviously, to the right. ocean. Um, so it was definitely. Um, something to get used to in in the first you know week or two of the actual race is getting used to um just the power of the ocean and and sort of what life would be like um for the next 58 days so you're on the boat for 58 days how quickly does it because like, you don't see the other boats most of the time, right? Everyone's kind of we far didn't away. See, we didn't see any other competitor. I mean, you, you might have maybe like at the end or at the beginning. But, right. Um, so you're in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. Like, do you, how, how is, how isolating is that feeling? It is, it is very, um, very difficult um, initially to get used to because, um, one, I can't even imagine what it would be like for a solo rower. At least I right. had um, Caitlin to you know, talk with, and, and we had a joke book, so I could read joke books, or, or jokes, and um, at least sort of um, have some sort of, you know, sanity, but um, it is very different, you don't, you don't see anything, you're also focused just on rowing, um, so we would do three-hour shifts, um, and you sort of just listen to music, and, you know, sing if you want, and sort of just kind of daydream and that passes the time and then you get to go into the cabin and rest and eat and then you do it all over again three hours later so and then but that actually uh, with that schedule it actually makes things simpler because you, you sort of everything's the same for a long period of time and at least for m myself that that um I don't know. I like that sort of easy schedule. It's not, it's nothing changes that much. Right. You just called it an easy schedule and I <laughs> called it 58 days of rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sure people are listening to this and like, what the heck are they doing? Uh, so how much, how much preparation do you need to have the materials ready? Uh, you had to have all the food for, right. you, you don't, you can't under budget. You don't want to over budget cause then it's a lot of stuff to take. Right. So, um, the boat, the boat was probably like a, a year in the making that we had sort of um, uh, got that, the, the boat started to build. Um, and so as far as um, training, physical training, we probably did an, uh, a year as well. We were, um, Caitlin was the president uh, of the club at Nebraska and I was the vice president of the club. We were also the coaches for the club. Um, so we would coach our teams, and then after that practice, we would have our own ocean rowing practice that would last two hours or so, um, which we would do the indoor rower for about two hours. Um, and then on other days, we would do, um, you know, weight training and do, you know, squats and, and bench press and leg press and different lifts um, for about two hours. 
And the other thing besides the physical training is we would do, we had to go to um, the UK to do sort of uh, ocean rowing uh, sort of training classes in sea uh, navigation, first aid at sea. Um, so things that not the typical uh, person would, would know. And so that was a lot of learning as well because um, I'm not a sailor by any means, so I had to learn sort of the um, the lingo that you use for the radio mm -hmm. in case you get in contact with another vessel. Um, but that was fun because we got to meet other competitors um, and sort of form bonds early on because it's, it's definitely a, a close bond between all the members of the fleet. Even though it's a race, we still want everybody to do well. Yeah, that, that seemed like from what... I had read on the website from what we had talked about previously that while it's a competition, I mean, you, you, it's not like you're in NASCAR and not that they're not bad people, but like pushing people aside to right. You guys just no. want everyone to succeed. No, and, and, and there are teams that set out to win the race and set, um, Records. You know, yeah, records for... I mean, you would have loved to have won. Right, Who of wouldn't? course. But there's and, no uh, monetary... Uh, right, there's no prize money. Right. Um, they give you a party, a cake? Uh, well, every team that gets into Antigua gets some sort of, uh, uh, you know, welcoming. Um, there was about probably 200 people um, at the at the dock that we arrived at. Um, obviously, we, we thought it was just going to be maybe 8 to 10 people, just our family members that would be there. Um, but there were tons of locals that get into it for every single mm -hmm. boat that comes in, and they're... They're cheering, they're, they're ringing cowbells, they're setting off flares. Um, and also when we yeah. get into the harbor, there's all these massive um, sailboats and yachts that are, um, you know, blasting their horns, playing, you know, Eye of the Tiger. And, and, and just, it's, it's, it was incredible to, to just come into the harbor. And so that makes you realize um, they have to know when you're going to be there. Yeah, so it's not like they're just waiting around. Like, when's George gonna get here? Right, or the other people. So you got you keep in contact very regularly with yes. here I am, and do you know where you are. Yes, we do. So, um, <laughs> what are the landmarks? Well, there's water <laughs> here, and there's a little bit more water there. Yeah, and a whale. <laughs> well, did you see any whales? We did see whales. That we would saw, be worth it to me. I love them. Yes, there there was a. Um, we saw maybe two or three. And they stayed around the boat for probably nine hours and just sort of maybe were within 10 feet or so, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty close for, for us. Um, and we got to see um, different schools of fish. And, and it sounds pretty close to me. This whole thing yeah, is terrifying. Yeah. And then there was a shark. The, 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 the evening um, before we got in, there was a shark that followed the boat. But... Um, yeah, it was, so each boat has a, it's called a yellow brick, so it sort of is a tracking device on each boat, mm -hmm. so that's how people can know what place we're in and, and our, our position. And um, do you get updates on, like, where, like, oh, uh, Tony Heil is two days ahead of you, so, I mean, come on. Yeah, so we, we actually had two, <laughs> two, um, two, uh, what am I trying to say, devices, so we had a, um, a uh, satellite phone, mm -hmm. so we could text other boats if we had their number, um, and so then they could tell us where they were and 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 how far they had left to go. And then um, we had a in reach, which allowed us to even um, 
post Facebook posts from mm-hmm. from the Atlantic. Um, but the yellow brick um, allows all our supporters to go on the Talisker website, see where we are, um, see how fast we're going, um, and it, I think it even gives an estimated time of arrival yes, to does. Antigua. Um, well, that's good because if you you guys were at Antigua, many. Many you guys weren't going to go today. and hang out there for three weeks or four weeks, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, our friends, our family members, uh, multiple times a day, we found ourselves uh, on the yellow brick to see where he was because it, it will track your coordinates. You will know exactly through GPS and the satellite. It um, tells you exactly where he's at. So that is comforting. Yeah. If, if we didn't have that, we would be isolated ourselves. So that was very helpful to, to have that. Plus, Talisker was very, very good towards the end of the race. They had an estimated time of arrival mm-hmm. because it is a small island. So families want to get down there and, and just the logistics of getting there, getting a place to stay. Um, but it was unbelievable to see this harbor and the people that came out to witness something as extraordinary as this. Um, and there was a military crew, amputees, that had done this. And I thought to myself, if they can do this, George can do this as well, because the the, the stamina, the assurance, um, I think is, a, is just, infects each of the right. crews. They do bond. And um, it was just, it was memorable. I, I know that you can't control what he's going to do, but it helps you be okay with it when knowing the confidence you have in him as a exactly. rower, as a person. Exactly. You, know, you, you have to know that he's got the mental toughness because right. it, it takes a. That's probably the mental toughness is probably more than the physical. That's toughness. That's what I was going to say. I mean, and so you can train your body for this, like as long if you stick to a good, you know, sort of regimen, you'll be ready for this. But the mental aspect is something you just can't prepare for. Mm-hmm. You can't prepare for what it feels like when um, you're rowing at nighttime and there's, uh, you know, it's cloudy, so the moon isn't out and the stars aren't visible. So your depth perception, you know, you just don't know really what is up and what is down. I mean, you have your headlamp on that allows you to see your feet, but it's sort of um, tough to sort of, uh, you just, you mentally, yeah, you, you, it's just... You can't see anything. You just see blackness. It's very difficult to deal with at, at that time. Then just sort of the overall um, toll of it. Um, you know, there was times where we weren't making the mileage per shift that we really wanted to or that the conditions sort of said we should be. Um, uh, probably the last 600 miles were the toughest. We just um, felt like we were rowing through mud we weren't getting the miles and at that point you you can almost taste you know the burger and french fries and coke that you're going to get in antigua but and you want it so badly but you're not you're not getting those miles that you've been typically getting and that's frustrating if you want a burger and fries i'll get you a burger and fries (laughs) that's exactly what i had when i got off um, it, I mean, I was not saying Antigua, I would love to go there, but yeah. I don't know that they're known for their burgers and fries. No, but at that point, anything was going to be, was going to be good. Even though our food, our food was very good on board. Did you, so did you, was it food that you got or did they recommend what to bring? Well, it's, it's. Cause it, you get to get the portion size, right? Right. So we were, we were able to have, 
um, or we had 5,500 to 6,000 calories a day. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would, we took these, uh, right. Cause you need more than a regular person. Would need. So in addition to needing a lot of food, you need to have right, more because we're know. burning constantly. Yeah. Um, we have these, uh, sort of, uh, backpacker, uh, hiking sort of, uh, freeze dried food in these pouches that we hydrate. Um, and it ranged from like lasagna to, um, you know, beef stew to macaroni and cheese. It was, it was very good. I had never had it before. Um, but it was, it was extremely good. Um, and so those were our main meals. So we would have three of those a day and then at any, you know, whenever you're rowing, you, you know, occasionally take a break and, and eat something. So it would be Cheez-Its. It would be, you know, uh, peanut butter crackers. It would be Hershey bars. Really, um, it was the snacks sort of were up to you, up to each boat, what they wanted. Um, but you're really just trying to put any type of food in into you so you can get some energy. And some of those things are from back home. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So we actually packed the boat before we shipped it over. So we put all of our food in the boat. Um, that way, we didn't have to repack it when we when we got to uh, the Canaries. Um, so yeah, we went to Costco and got a couple shopping carts and just put all the Cheez-Its and Oreos and candy that we really wanted because we, we, we would be eating it constantly. What can you get at Costco? Exactly. <laughs> I love Costco. It's great. It is really good. My wife goes there. Suddenly we have a lot of food for the kids and end up eating. And, and then I eat the 6,000 calories and I don't go rowing. That's why I'm in this situation. Uh, so you have to prepare for the mental toughness of being. And, and it's a good thing you knew your partner, Caitlin, and that yeah. she was good because I I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my friends. But I can only imagine how irritated we would get with each other. Like, you guys. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, so, and so I think um, we, had, um, we had been friends for a couple of years before this race and um, you know, we had just really gotten along and I think what helps too is that we're both, you know, pretty easygoing people. We really don't get, um, upset too easily. And that's really key for this because, you know, little things like, um, you know, getting splashed by a wave can tick you off and that, those stuff that's going to happen. And, and, you know, the sun just... If you're going to be afraid of getting splashed by a wave, right. don't do don't a rowing do competition. Don't do this. Um, but I think just our personalities just really um, uh, were good for this. And we, we never fought, which um, which is a good thing compared to other teams where, unfortunately, um, with more people, sometimes things do get a little um, tense and there is some fighting. And unfortunately, for some teams, they've sort of drifted apart after yeah. this race. Um, it's like every VH1 behind the music. <laughs> all the band all breaks up, yeah. and eventually they come back together for a for reunion. reunion. Yep, yep. During this race, too, there, uh, we're missing Christmas. We're right. missing New Year's. So one of the things that um, before he left, we had a farewell um, party. Um, and so we had this book, and, and we asked people to write down words of encouragement, a joke, you know, a quote, uh, so that they could read like each day something funny or something, um, you know, a puzzle. Uh, and then we did um, Christmas stockings, and they took Christmas hats 
Santa hats mm -hmm. and um, things like that because for that one day you need to do something other than just row. Yeah. And then, then you you hit the hurricane or the mm -hmm. so that was a real test of you know we're ha like a half hour in like oh then there was a hurricane like you you gotta bury the lead yeah well uh, I mean I it yeah so there was a hurricane while we, that eventually turned into hurricane at the time it was a tropical storm oh well that's um, a but it, what, what the interesting part is that they specifically start this race in December because it's not hurricane season. I was going to ask because I didn't know if it was weather. Right. Um, but it, so this hurricane, um, it was the first one in January um, in the Atlantic since 1938. So it sort of just, it was our luck. But we were informed by our boat builder who we were in constant contact with. Um, she really was a big part of this because she told us um, you know, uh, how to, uh, how far north we should go, how far south we should go, our positioning, if it looked good. And what's her name so we can get um, her thanks yeah. on the Sonia, Sonia Bohmstein. Uh -huh. She's uh, the, the company that the boat building is um, Spindrift. That Great. was the... Well, thank you to them. Yeah. Oh, oh and... We couldn't have done it without her. Right. She was... She's a great friend, but she knows her rowing and she knows... This is the first American-made boat that entered a very British race. Uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Well, and take so it to them. Exactly. Leave it to a woman to... <laughs> and that's, that's why we named it Washington's Crossing, so we're yeah, a little dig at them. Yeah. But, um, and so with the storm, with the, the tropical storm, we were informed by Sonia, um, and we sort of just had to, um, once the conditions sort of pointed to, we can't row anymore, um, we put out uh, what's called a pair anchor, which is like a giant pillowcase um, with line, and it um, uh, stabilizes our position. So it uh, puts us perpendicular to the waves. Mm -hmm. That way we don't get broadsided and potentially um, capsized. Even though these boats are self-riding, we obviously don't want to do that. Um, and so we were in the cabins for three, three days, just waiting it out until the conditions improved. Um, which it's again, sort of to the mental aspect of it. Um, it's obviously frustrating to not be able to get any progress, but if you make it into a positive that we were able to get more rest than we were accustomed to. So we were able to sleep a little longer than just three hours and have to get back on the oars. So, um, that's how I looked at it. And, um, the boat was able to, um, uh, stay in the same position relatively, only get blown back maybe three miles, which is great in comparison to other teams that got blown back maybe 30 to 40, which wow, is, yeah. um, you know, close to a day's worth. Um, so we were, you know, pretty happy about that. And um, Plus it affected all the teams. Yeah, so. exactly. So, and... But that's why we need to take global warming seriously. I mean, there's going to be hurricanes that are going to affect... I know. The whiskey challenge. I know. <laughs> and this year they didn't have one, so you, you just never know. Right. Uh, so do you get whiskey at the end? You do. Okay, because that seems like you should at least get... You get whiskey one. at the end. They actually give you the small little bottles um, before the race. Um, you really shouldn't drink a whole lot before no, you're rowing. No, no. We didn't, we didn't um, with those, but it was kind of cool just to have along, just a sort of nice little reminder. Um but we did have sort of fun things to to eat and drink at certain milestones. So halfway through, 
we had, um, it was just like a lemon soda from, from the Canary Islands that um, was just different from, we had been just drinking water. Um, so something that had some sugar, some, some taste to it. The lemon was really refreshing. It was sort of a nice little boost. And then we had these um, sort of cookie, uh, covered cookies uh, with chocolate, covered chocolate cookies, which were amazing as well. Um, even though we had all the snacks that we really wanted, just that little difference sort of uh, made us work hard, harder for the next milestone, which would probably been, you know, like a thousand miles to go or 500 miles to go. Um, and then once we got under 500, we could really, we were really anticipating getting in and um, getting excited to see our, see our families. Yeah, like the stars, you, you commented on how beautiful they were and how the moon just looked like a, a giant light bulb. Oh, yeah. I mean, the clarity was, you know, we don't get that around the cities, obviously, but uh, the beauty of the ocean as, as uh, in all aspects, um, it sounded like it was quite a, a transatlantic crossing. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I mean, I, I remember I went on a cruise, but even on a cruise, there's light. So you see some of the stars. Right. I was kind of disappointed. It was cloudy when I was on the cruise, I think, a little bit. Um, and I still, I remember going to Cape Cod, I think. Mm. And that was when I saw, it was the best view of the stars ever. But even then, it's not as good as being in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, did you um, take any picture? Could you take any pictures? We we did, but then we every team got a, a GoPro. And so uh-huh. we did take pictures, but when we reviewed them, after taking them, the camera's just not... It's, it's a great camera and does a lot of great yeah. things, but it's just not good enough. Right. Um, to capture all the stars and the moon just doesn't look like what we were seeing. Yeah. Um, and like my mom said, it, the moon was um, like a giant spotlight is what I like to say. So at nighttime, it was um, nighttime eventually turned into my favorite time of rowing um, as long as the moon was out. Right. Because, you know, you, you can clearly see everything. You can see the water. You can see all the stars. Um, and it's a lot cooler, obviously, than during the day. So we're not getting, you know, um, torched by the, the sun. Oh, yeah. I, I think it might look cooler because of that. But, like, it's cool as a neat. But, yeah, you're yeah. right. It's cooler. Yeah. It makes a big difference because you're going to battle the heat. Yeah. And, no that, and that comes into play even when you're not rowing and you're in the cabin. Um, so you have to keep the hatch door closed because our electronics are in there with our GPS and everything. So we don't want it to get that wet. So that cabin is basically like an oven um, in the daytime because it's just getting um, hit with the sunlight. And that's just, you know, that cabin's just getting hotter and hotter. And um, that was one of the tough parts is it's just you immediately start sweating. And so you eat really quickly and then try to go to sleep um, uh, right after that, because if you don't, you won't be able to go to sleep. You'll just start sweating and be miserable. But you, you learn those things. There was a lot of trial and error, I assume. Yeah. Like, oh, we better row at this time or. Well, we, we, we rode 24 seven. Right. But I mean, you, you, we better do it like this. We yeah. better like wear this or eat this yes. time. Like you. Yes. So you get better at it as you get. Going. Definitely. I mean, it's, there's. There's no real, like, um, I don't know, like, blueprint. It's sort of, and that's what makes it nice, is that every team figures things out and does something their own way. Um, Late into the row, probably the last 
two weeks, I learned that um, I should wear a t-shirt because I hadn't been wearing a t-shirt. I should wear a t-shirt and squirt water on my back because the shirt would retain the water longer than my skin would. Right. Um, because that would just evaporate. So I would stay cooler longer. Um, so that's something that I'll remember for, for next time because I do want to row um, some ocean again eventually. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, you were... Uh, one thing that's interesting to me is how many aspects of this you're talking about, the isolation, um, the having to adapt. And it reminds me, because you're doing this for ALS, about the... So did you... Was that in your mind? Obviously, your, your grandfather passed away years before, um, and you were young. Right. You, you said you were 11 years old when you yeah. passed away. But yeah. You you had studied about ALS. You knew what you were doing this for. Did, did, did that come into mind? Like, oh, this is... Even after the fact. Yeah. I mean, I think... What I really, like, in those tough times of the, with the sun and, and the days or the nights with no moon or anything, you know, I tried to remember what I was doing this for. I was doing it in memory of my grandfather, and I was doing it for people that currently um, have ALS. And, and the fact that I'm so lucky to be doing um, this adventure and this journey... Um, uh, and I'm doing it for them. This wasn't something personal for me um, because, I, you know, I'm trying to to make some sort of difference um, in, in raising in raising funds. And, and you know, it's not um, it, I knew the money that we did raise for for the charity. It wouldn't be, um, you know, so significant that it would completely um end things as far as, you know, the disease and finding a cure, but I knew that it would get us, you know, a tick closer to that, um, and putting us in a better position to, to eventually find a cure, which is, you know, a good thing. If you're in a better position than you were previously, I'll take that. Well, and we're recording this on, uh, May 9th and we just had the FDA approval of a new drug a few days ago. I saw that, yeah. And obviously it wasn't like, well, we need someone to roll across the Atlantic and then we're going to do <laughs> exactly. it. But, but every bit helps. Exactly. And that was yeah. the first drug in 22 years. Yeah. Um, the efforts of people you know, who do a walk to defeat ALS, a mm -hmm. bike ride, or even something, it, it all adds up together. Absolutely. And we're doing and, the way they want to do. And, I mean, yeah, I, I have a, I have a ton of respect for everybody that does the walks and, and the ice bucket challenge mm -hmm. before I did the row. That was great because that got a ton of money. Um, and I think another big reason why I did this race was I knew it was sort of out of the box and just sort of hard to comprehend for a lot of people. But I wanted to make sure that something crazy could potentially bring awareness to ALS because I think sometimes it gets forgotten a little bit. I mean, Lou Gehrig, it was, I think, 1939 that he died of it. And, you know, unfortunately, we're still sort of at the same stage where we don't have an answer for, for the disease. We just got a drug last I, week, I man. know, Give us I a know, moment. I know. That's exciting. But, but you're right. Like, you know, you want to... exciting. You, you know, uh, and I've heard this so many times, like, it's been so long. We have a picture of Lou Gehrig behind you. No one can see it because it's an audio podcast, but... You know, it's a, it is a reminder of how long that time's been. And right. you were on a boat for a long... It, you know, right. it kind of puts into the fact the length of mm -hmm. this. And uh, I think a lot of our patient families would appreciate you putting in that physical challenge effort. Right. 
and taking that back. So, what was the response like back home? You, you, I know, obviously, how much money did you raise? We we raised a total of um, fifty thousand dollars, but we raised for the charity a little over ten thousand. That's incredible! Yeah, that's so yeah. awesome. Yeah, and uh, and especially because, like you said, you have to raise a lot of money to do the thing. So yeah, to raise money on top of that to make this successful is really impressive. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the the reception back home was um, amazing. I, I think it was. The same day that I got in, because it was around 10.30 um, in the morning, um, within probably two hours, I was on the phone with the um, Delco Times, mm -hmm. um, and then a couple Omaha. papers, yeah, a couple papers in Nebraska, the Omaha uh, World Herald, and the uh, Lincoln Journal Star, um, and then some other uh, papers um, in, in our area, in Delaware County. Um, but the reception was great. I mean, I went back to my my grade school um, Holy and Holy Child Academy, and that's where I, I, I gave a, my first sort of post-row um, presentation because they had been very supportive of me. Um, and sort of, I obviously love talking about it, so I thought it'd be great to talk to the, to the kids there because, I mean, it's, it's sort of my message is, you know, you know, if you have something that you really want to do and you work for it and, um, you, you know, it, it can happen. Yeah. And I, that's something I think is a good really close here is from the beginning, you talked about this, you, you seem like a very goal oriented person. That's how you're able to be successful with high school and college rowing. And then your partner, Caitlin, also mm -hmm. very goal oriented. Is that the kind of the message you want to get out there to people whether it's for rowing, for ALS, or anything else, talking to those young people. Yeah, I mean... You set your mind to it and plan it. Exactly. No, not to say, I want to uh, take over Idaho right. as my own principality. <laughs> right. Like, I, mean, I have a goal, and this is what I'm going to do. Exactly. And like I said before, like it was really up to us. If we put in the effort and the time, and when I mean us, I mean... It, again, it was a full team effort by our parents and by the community, which we were able to, you know, thankfully get um, support from. But if you put in the time and effort, you'll be able to achieve it. Um, that's what I believe in. And, um, you know, there was no doubt in my mind that we would make it across. We were confident in um, each of ourselves. I was confident in Kaylin as a partner. I was confident in our boat. Our boat performed excellently. Um, we never capsized ever, so we were never um, in sort of a state of fear. We none of our electro electronics failed us or got wet. We really had a great crossing. I mean, the hurricane sound—you know—it it sounds scary, but um, when when it was occurring with the conditions what they were, we were confident in our boat, and so I was never scared that we were going to. Um, you know, capsize. So having that confidence, I think, really allows you to achieve your goal. And now your next goal is to do the Pacific. <laughs> potentially, potentially. First, first goal is uh, I'm going to law school in the fall. So that's my my next challenge. Where are you going? Um, it's between Drexel and Villanova. Well, you'll get. I'm sure you'll do some, be successful either <laughs> Thank place. You. If you can row across the Atlantic, you can take, tackle either of those yeah. law schools. And I just said tickle either of those law schools. But you could do that too, I guess, but they would probably not feel it. Well, um, and again, before I finish here, how many people approximately were a part of that team that made you a success? Ooh, um, I would say, let's see, 
Oh, you mean um, to get you to get to get across twenty yeah. people? I'd say I, I, we I had our families, advisors, and we had special um, advisors that helped us with fundraising, like giving us ideas for fundraising right. um, events. Um, Sonia obviously was on our advisory board because she, um, you know, got the boat ready and helped us get us get us through the race. I mean, she was in constant contact with us, and we had a really good um, course. That we that we took and um, and we had gone through a nonprofit, you know, because one of the things in fundraising is people want to give. But uh, there's a there's a, a positive side if if you can go through a 501 uh, C3 so they can get that tax. Uh, learning all those type of things uh, so that he could achieve and raise the money. Um, I mean, he's he's very. Um, uh, humble, but the University of Nebraska had him out for home, uh, homecoming. 90,000 90, people got to hear what he did. Wow. So that's 90,000 people that got to hear about ALS. So it's those type of things that... I'm hoping a few hundred people listen to this podcast. <laughs> but, you know, but that's the thing, you know. Yeah. The more you get... Because this is, like, out over the top, it draws attention, and that's what we wanted. It draws attention right to ALS. Yeah. Uh, because this was like a crazy way of, of doing it, but it was successful. Right. So, uh, and and uh, yes, it's personal, but it, it everything that he probably um, uh, felt going across, whether it's uh, hands aching, muscles aching, is exactly what an ALS you know, person, isolation, mm -hmm. you know, um, not being able to do everything that they want to do, right. uh, and, you know, and so he probably, you know, could c connect very easily. He was, he was rowing from them. Yeah. That's what I would say. Well, and, and it, it clearly shows, and, um, you know, I don't know that other people could be as humble about doing it. Maybe, maybe doing it is humbling. Oh, absolutely. I mean... Maybe you were really cocky before this, and now you're really you're really nice about it. Well, I think I think the thing is is that we had been this has been it was a like a two and a half year prior to the event of planning and training, and you know I obviously want to have that confidence of saying that we're rolling across the Atlantic Ocean, and you know um, because when you pitch it to people for fundraising, you want to seem confident and that you know you're not going to be um, you know, you're not going to fall short of your goal. And, um, after doing it, um, you know, it just sort of felt like, well, we've been saying it for a while and not to, I mean, the ocean definitely makes you humble, but, um, you know, we had almost set it into reality that it would happen. Um, so and seeing the boat, I think also, uh, I remember my aunt saying they were worried about my mother because my mother, who was 80-some years old, called them and saying, George is going to row across the Atlantic. And they thought, oh, their sister has really lost it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that wasn't the case at all. It was kind of, but it was just, uh, no one hears about that in North America. Uh, and uh, there are some Americans that have done it since then. But, um, you know, I'm very proud of them, and um, I think it's uh, uh, something my father would have really, you know, 
would have been pleased. He was always, there was always that loving relationship. And um, so it was, um, needless to say, emotional that day. Well, uh, for anyone that's listening, you can learn more about the Cranial Quest, see some pictures, uh, learn about why they did it, um, and you know, follow along, see, see more about George at www.thecranialquest.com. There's a lot of great information on there. It's a really good website. Uh, and you can see all the people that were involved, the advisory board. Um, there's Mary Emily right on top. <laughs> and there's Sonia, Laura, uh, Frank, he's, and Michael. Yep. Okay, I'm, just, I, I'm not going to get their name, last names messed up. But you can go on there see and, and really see that there's a lot of thought put into this to make sure it went well. Um, but we really appreciate how much of that thought went into helping people with ALS raising the money, raising the awareness. Uh, for anyone listening, though, you don't need to row across the Atlantic. We welcome you to do it, uh, but you can find other ways to get involved. Go at alsphiladelphia.org. Uh, and just like George, if you put your mind to a goal, you could raise money, raise awareness, become an advocate, become a volunteer, uh, become an ambassador for the cause. And again, alsphiladelphia.org. Uh, find a walk to defeat ALS, ride to defeat ALS. Uh, or even uh, just fall, spread awareness through social media at ALS Philadelphia. So thanks, George, for all you did, and good luck in all the law schools you're going to go to. Thank you. <laughs>